Good evening, everyone. Glad you're here. My name is Doug Fullington. I'm the manager of audience education here at PNB. And welcome to a Midsummer Night's Dream. This is our opening night. Uh, this is a ballet we've performed many, many times. We first acquired it in 1985. We redesigned it in 1997. Our archivist provided us with a list of all the performances we've given, and it's at about 100 and, uh, this is about performance 109, which is a lot for us, and almost as many on the road as uh, here at home. We've toured it many, many places. I was surprised that we even toured the original production, which was a copy of the New York City Ballet production. We toured it to Portland and Vancouver and Hawaii and uh, the Kennedy Center, but with the new production since 1997, we've uh, had the uh, privilege of touring to Scotland and London and Istanbul and Hong Kong and even the Hollywood Bowl. <laughs> so we've, uh, this ballet has really uh, been a very important part of our repertory and part of our history. And every time it comes back, I think the company really looks forward to it. Comes back with enough frequency that most people in the company, especially the senior dancers, have worked their way through most of the roles in the ballet. There are uh, 14 leading roles in this ballet, so it's a great opportunity to see many of the company and to see uh, lots of students from the school, too. There's great choreography for kids. I'm probably getting ahead of myself and should go back sort of to the beginning. but. Uh, a Midsummer Night's Dream. This is choreography by George Balanchine, and it was first made in 1962 for the New York City Ballet, and it was Balanchine's first original full-length ballet. He had staged full-length ballets uh, already in his career. He had staged ballets that he remembered from his youth in Russia. Uh, he had also been a part of productions of A Midsummer Night's Dream as a uh, youth in Russia, and there was a ballet version that Marius Petipah had made at the Mariinsky Theater in St. Petersburg. So it was a work that Balanchine knew, uh, both the uh, stage play and in uh, balletic versions as well. But when he came to uh, choreograph it, uh, as far as we know, he made all his own choices. And it started with the music. He uses Mendelssohn's uh, music for the play. We call this incidental music, music that was written to accompany a stage production in which music isn't the uh, sort of fundamental part. Uh, of course, this is very famous music. It was famous in the 19th century as well. Uh, it's interesting in the ballet Sleeping Beauty in the vision scene with all the nymphs when the prince first meets the spirit of Aurora. In the final dance that we call the coda in that scene, Petipa asks Tchaikovsky for music like A Midsummer Night's Dream, referring to the music that you'll hear at the very beginning of the, of the performance tonight. So it's very much uh, in the, the musical consciousness of culture from the time it was composed until now, and of course when Balanchine was using it. Balanchine also uh, drew from other pieces by Mendelssohn, and we have those listed in the program, so if you're interested, you can... Uh, see what those are on page, I think that's a 10, it's very poor eyesight these days, but at the end of the program notes it says music details and we list the various overtures and so forth and symphonies 
that uh, Balanchine drew from. Uh, we rehearsed this ballet to piano, and in the divertissement, the entertainment in the second act, much of it is uh, taken from Mendelssohn's Symphony Number no. 9, uh, for which there wasn't a piano reduction, a piano score, when Balanchine was putting the ballet together, so he hand-wrote one himself. Balanchine was a trained musician, and we use his copy. Uh, it is part of our score, so there's Balanchine's handwriting, and our pianists still use it, and it's, uh, I don't know, it feels special somehow. Uh, Balanchine had his hands on every aspect. And using this music, he has put together the story of A Midsummer Night's Dream from the Shakespeare play, albeit somewhat simplified. And Balanchine takes care of the story in the first act, which runs uh, just a little over an hour. So we have lots of characters to meet. And Balanchine does this, I think, in, in a terrific way. He uses the famous overture music that Mendelssohn provided for A Midsummer Night's Dream. And during that, uh, those several minutes of music, he really introduces us to everybody in, in the ballet, both the fairy world, Oberon the king, and Titania the queen, and their courts, as well as the uh, mortals, uh, Hermia and Helena, Demetrius and Lysander, uh, Hippolyta's a surprise, she waits for later, but King uh, Theseus and uh, Bottom and his companions, they're all featured, uh, it's sort of like the opening credits, if you will. And uh, from, the, from that point, after the overture, we get a succession of scenes, one in which we meet Titania, one in which we meet Oberon, and so forth. Also in that overture, sort of... Uh, Balanchine lays out what's going to be the catalyst for all of the trouble and mismatching that goes on. And that has to do with the changeling, which is a sort of construct of fairy lore. Um, and it's a young child that Titania and Oberon fight over. And the child is in uh, Titania's possession, if you will, and Oberon wants the changeling and takes it, and then Titania takes it back, and so forth. Uh, it's interesting, Balanchine plays this out in pantomime exactly the same way twice. It's sort of like a rhetorical repeat, if you will, as if you've gone back to read a paragraph again just to make sure you understood what it said. I'm sure we've all done that. Balanchine sort of does that for us. We see the scene played out. The music repeats exactly, so Balanchine repeats the action exactly. So it's pretty clear what's going on. And, of course, that's the catalyst for the trouble in the fairy world that leaks over into the trouble in the mortal world via Puck, who is the servant of Oberon and uh, something of a trickster. And with his magic flower, uh, it's one of these magic flowers that if it's uh, sprinkled on you when you wake up, you're going to fall in love with the first thing you see. So that causes trouble for mismatched lovers and uh, a lot of hilarity for Oberon at the expense of Titania, of course, who wakes up and falls in love with Bottom, who's been turned into a donkey. So um, one of the great duets in the ballet, I think, that Balanchine has put together. So all of this is resolved by the end of Act 1. So what is Act 2? Act 2 is the wedding scene of the lovers with a beautiful uh, entertainment in the court of Theseus. And it includes one more duet by a pair of dancers that we haven't met before. In fact, they aren't given any names, 
but the general thinking is they represent a sort of idealized relationship uh, that we have not had yet in the ballet. We've seen lots of relationships and lots of pairings uh, for better or for worse, but we have this ideal pairing in the second act. And I think it is one of Balanchine's most famous duets. Uh, we simply call it the divertissement, divertissement pas de deux, a divertissement, sort of my anglicized pronunciation of uh, French for uh, diversion or entertainment. And um, it's a beautiful duet. Uh, interestingly, when you read about Balanchine's ideas for this second act and how he was thinking it might be dressed on stage and the scenery, uh, he was very interested. Uh, Balanchine was very uh, religious and a devout member of the Russian Orthodox Church and uh, spoke to some of his collaborators about the vision of St. John of the woman standing in the moon surrounded by the stars, which for the Russian Orthodox would refer to Mary. And uh, he thought about portraying this somehow in the second act of this ballet and then thought people either wouldn't get it or would think it was over the top. So it didn't happen, but he spoke a lot about it. And uh, Martin Pakladinas, who designed our scenery and costumes, has worked the moon and the stars and these images into the uh, costumes of this couple. And you also see a change in sort of the star uh, drop in the sky when their duet begins, and you'll see the circle of stars. So we did uh, do uh, a little bit of a nod toward Balanchine's sort of un unseen in intentions and thoughts there um, in the second act. Balanchine's made great choreography for children in A Midsummer Night's Dream. There's a group of 24 that represent Oberon's court, uh, sort of fairies and bugs and all. We just call them bugs <laughs> on our in-house casting. There are four big bugs, <laughs> there are overture bugs, and there are 13 other bugs. But uh, they have great choreography, particularly uh, in the scherzo movement of the incidental music from Midsummer Night's Dream, it's set for Oberon. It's really a series of solos, very virtuosic for Oberon. The role was made on Edward Villela. But the corps de ballet for his dance is the uh, group of 24 children. Balanchine had a great way of uh, just making children look great on stage, not really, not an element of cuteness, just smaller people, if you will, and giving them steps that, are, that meet them right where they're at in their training. So uh, we have two complete casts of uh, bugs for Oberon's kingdom, and uh, they are very excited to uh, be out on stage. Uh, we had the privilege in 1999 of having this, uh, our production filmed over in London at Sadler's Wells Theatre, and that's out on DVD. You can... Uh, you can uh, purchase that and watch that. But we were able to bring our own school kids over, Kent and Francia. Kent Stoll and Francia Russell felt that because the ballet was going to be filmed that our school should be represented. So they all came with us. And uh, yeah, that was one of the early tours for me and I was in charge of the children. <laughs> it was great that most of the families came. I think we had 76 people in the children's touring party. But uh, they did a great job. And now they're all grown up. Some of them are still in dance. Most of them are not. But uh, I think great memories and sort of uh, memorialized on the, on the film. So. 
I didn't pay my dues, but I had a great, I had a great time. It was fun, and very exciting. It was just when HD high definition was starting to be used. It was very fascinating to see what they needed to do to the um, the lighting had to be quite bright, and all the makeup had to be toned down, because you know about HD, <laughs> and uh, a lot of people going around and smudging people. So, uh, yeah, fascinating time. Um, this time around, it's been great to have, once again, with us Francia Russell, who is the stager of this production. This is Francia's staging, and she learned the ballet uh, with Balanchine at New York City Ballet. She was uh, one of just a handful of ballet masters at New York City Ballet in the 1960s, so she really knew these ballets very, very well. And uh, she has been in the studio from the beginning of the staging process, which really has only been about a month or so, and uh, here tonight, and it's been terrific for the dancers, and I think for her too, uh, to be able to work again on every aspect of the ballet, and it's uh, great to have her with us. Um, I'm gonna stop there for a minute. I mean, how many of you have seen this production? Oh, right, okay. So not everybody, but some, because as I said, it's a real staple of the repertory. It comes in every four or five years, which may not seem that often, but if, you're, if you put 20 years in the company, you have a long period of time. Uh, Leslie Rausch, who's dancing the principal in the divertissement potida tonight, said she's uh, done about every role. She was an apprentice on those tours to Istanbul and Hong Kong with mm -hmm. Lindsay Deck, I remember them, and they were butterflies, or they were fairies in the epilogue. And they were hounds with those hound heads. Paula says hounds are running across the stage in the fog with the mask on. <laughs> so uh, she has really come up through every part of the ballet and now is really dancing a role that's right at the pinnacle of it all. So that's great. Is, it, is there anything you would like to ask or know about? Um, yes, please. How long have you been doing these pre- how long have I been doing these pre-performance lectures? I'm not absolutely sure, but I know I was doing them when we were at the Mercer Arena, which is no more. And so that was right around 2002-ish. So, um, uh, you know, Jeannie Thompson did them before me. And then I remember we would do them at the front of the house, which felt awkward, in the Mercer Arts Arena. So I guess I've been doing them for about... <clears throat> 16, 17 years. So it's a few midsummers. So, yes, please. Sometimes when uh, ballets are developed with other companies, you move the company, uh, sorry, the, the ballet goes to other places to be produced. Has this ever been, like, has the set and all of the costumes and everything gone elsewhere? Uh, yes, we have rented the production out a couple of times. A um, little bit to our chagrin, because we feel a lot of ownership over this production. Um, Pennsylvania Valley did perform it at the Kennedy Center, and we are uh, providing it to San Francisco Ballet next season. But I think after that, we may not. <laughs> we're at a point now where we're starting to rebuild uh, some portions of the ballet, because it's been 22 years. So the Titania costumes are new, tonight and they are real works of art they're, everything is done by hand they're painted by hand uh, cut by hand everything applied to them is done by hand um, they're beautiful silk 
costumes. Uh, Laura Tisserand is Titania tonight, and uh, just uh, they look terrific. And I think this this will continue to happen in a sort of extended refurbishment of the production. So we'll probably hang on a little more tightly. Yeah. Yes, please. Is this the most produced um, ballet in the company, or is there another one that equals it? Is this the most produced uh, production? I think that Swan Lake comes as often. And we first did Swan Lake in 1981, and then in 2003 we had a new production. So it has had a similar trajectory. It has not toured the way Midsummer has toured. Somehow Midsummer is just a great touring ballet. It only lasts two hours. It has lots of roles, but no one role is so taxing that it's sort of you know, exhausting on tour. And it also has allowed us to use children from the different locations. We only brought our kids to London, but everywhere else we sent Otto Newbert ahead uh, to Hong Kong and Istanbul and Scotland to work with children from local schools. And it's a great way to meet people from the communities that, in which we're performing who have, and then we have that similar, uh, we have that commonality in ballet, which has been great. It is a fun ballet. It's funny. This is. It's funny. It's humorous. There's beauty. There's acting, dancing, children's roles. It really. It offers a lot. In 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 a way, I think it offers you many of the components you would see in a large scale nineteenth century ballet in a slightly uh, streamlined way, which was tended to be Balanchine's way. And I, I think it, it. It's got a lot going for it. Uh, yes, please, Sandy. When this production in 97. It was, I think, possibly the first time the Valentine Trust had allowed one of his works to be redesigned. Mm -hmm. And it was a big deal. Um, right. That happens a more frequently now. Our version of, of the Valentine Nutcracker is a design that is not the, um, not the city Valentine. Um, and I know that Miami City has an underwater version Midsummer mm -hmm. um, that um, I seen would it. love to see. Yeah, have that manatee. I kid you not. I'll explain more about this in a second. But do you know of any other ballets in the pipeline that are going to be redesigned in this way? Oh gosh. Okay. Let me summarize that just so everyone's heard. Um, when we. Uh, Redesigned Midsummer Night's Dream in 1997, we had to have the permission of the George Balanchine Trust, which licenses and holds the rights to the Balanchine Ballets. Um, so we, uh, Francia Russell, uh, approached the trust with this, and they did approve the designs and the and the, the redesign. Up until then, if you acquired a Balanchine Ballet, you also were required to reproduce the scenery and costumes in the way that they were done. Uh, for Balanchine, or at a particular time in his career, because a number of the ballets did change throughout his lifetime. Uh, but Francia had an idea of having Martin Pacladinas redesign the ballet and using Northwest, uh, the Northwest outdoors as the uh, inspiration. So flowers and the trees and many of the, really all of the look of the decor and some of the costumes too is inspired by the Northwest, which is great and really ties it to us. And recently Miami City Ballet uh, redesigned Midsummer Night's Dream and there's this underwater 
so that influenced how all the designs were done and what the particular characters represented. Uh, the Balanchine Nutcracker is uh, often uh, redesigned, but again, the, the trust does have to approve the designs, and sometimes it's really tough. Uh, they might not approve something or look or certain costume and it has to be a certain length because that's how Balanchine had it to fit his choreography. So the question of are there others coming up that are up for redesign, I don't know if there are. I mean the others, there's the Balanchine Coppelia and that's been redesigned before and we have our own designs there. Uh, his Harlequinade, which is a Commedia dell'arte ballet, isn't done very much. It's only done by New York City Ballet. Uh, his Don Quixote, which isn't the traditional one, but it was one done uh, in the 1960s with an original score, also is done very infrequently. But if that were revived, it might be up for redesign. That probably is a possibility. So that's what I know, which isn't much. <laughs> Sorry. Sure. We did the Don Quixote that, that comes from the Petipa, Marius Petipa version, which was first done in 1869, and then has sort of come down with layers and layers of changes. But the Balanchine was specific to New York City Ballet, and it was only performed until, I think, 1978, and then was dropped from the repertory. Suzanne Farrell uh, revived it as a collaboration between her company and National Ballet of Canada uh, in recent years. But uh, that's about all for the time being with that ballet. So uh, future is uncertain. The score was not popular with many people, so that may have been the hindrance there. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, before Balanchine, has who who has uh, the Midsummer Night with uh, this music uh, been done before as a ballet? Well, in St. Petersburg, Russia, there was a Midsummer Night's Dream, I think a one act, and I don't know the exact score. I know it used the Mendelssohn music. This was in the latter part of the 19th century. I have information on that. I could look it up, but I don't know the, what the exact score was. If it was, uh, I think it was probably augmented, and I think maybe by Ludwig Minkus, uh, who wrote the Don Quixote music that is the traditional music. He was the house composer for a number of years in St. Petersburg. So he may have augmented the score with his own music. Um, uh, Frederick Ashton has a, uh, the British choreographer, probably the most famous, I think definitely the most famous British choreographer of the 20th century, has a, a version of Midsummer Night's Dream called The Dream. And American Ballet Theater dances that. Uh, and there are many, many arguments between uh, ballet goers about whose is better. Balanchines or Ashton's, and, and the feelings are very strong, <laughs> and arguments are heated. So, uh, you know, I grew up with this one, so I know it really well. And of course, it's you know, I want it to be, you know, for me, it's the best one. So, uh, yes, please. I was thinking about former P and B pups, and I was wondering what happened to Seth. Seth Belliston, who was a principal dancer here, danced the role of Puck. He lives in California. He teaches ballet and uh, is involved, I think, somewhat in the musical theater and film industry as well. His sister? Uh, Leah Belliston, his sister, is in, I think, Littleton, Colorado, where their family is from. Uh, their mother runs the Belliston Academy of Ballet. So they're very much ballet people. Yeah. 
Yeah, of course. I wanted to say, too, speaking of pucks, Jonathan Paredes puck tonight. It's his first dancing role in uh, a year and a half because he had a, quite a significant injury in January of 2018. So he's back on stage tonight, and he will be down here with Peter Bull for the post-performance Meet the Artist talk. So, uh, And Jonathan also has announced his retirement in June. Uh, so he will be feted at our uh, season encore performance. So, And along those lines, I promised, with some misgivings, to uh, mention on behalf of the development department, the PMB, that they are giving away 100 pairs of tickets to the season encore performance to people who give $100 or more to their spring campaign. So you would spend more than 100 bucks on encore tickets. So think of it that way. I think there's something in your program. But uh, the season encore, which is the final performance of the year, uh, it also at which uh, Rachel Foster will retire, is always a uh, wonderful performance to attend. I sort of started out as a young adult uh, coming to, P I guess I was in high school, uh, coming to uh, more than just full-length ballets, and one of the first things I was at was the retirement for Lu Lucinda Huey. I didn't know it was going to be a retirement, but it was a very special evening. And uh, ever since, uh, I've always appreciated the final performances. So just some, something to uh, put in your mind about uh, coming to at the end of the year. Uh, anyone else? We have a few more minutes. Did you say something about a manatee in the Miami Ballet? Yeah, the, the, I think the Miami Ballet, instead of bottom the ass, has uh, bottom the manatee. I want to say that's true. And they got that past the Balanchine Trust. <laughs> now, I've said that on a podcast. But, uh, yeah, so I've not seen it. I, they have real success with it. I would like to see it. I'm sure it's very fanciful. And uh, I think this, this sounds like the story can, can manage it. So that's great. Yeah. Maybe there's different people on the committee now. <laughs> oh, well, not really. <laughs> but uh, Miami City Ballet has a wonderful Balanchine repertory. Of course, they were founded by Edward Villela and now Lourdes Lopez, who was a principal at New York City Ballet, is the artistic director. And they have a, a strong Balanchine repertory and aesthetic, and of course, then a very uh, strong relationship with the Balanchine Trust, as do we. We have 45, nearly 50 Balanchine ballets in our repertory, so it is, it's a very uh, influential style and aesthetic uh, for our company, as for theirs as well. Uh, yes? Can you talk a little bit about your relationship to the Balanchine Trust and how that uh, affects your choreography today? Uh, yes, yeah, so the Balanchine Trust, um, you know, authorizes all our performances of Balanchine's works and has for many years. Um, when our company uh, was formed in 1972, of course, Balanchine was still alive. He was alive until 1983. When Kent Stoll and Francia Russell came, we added a lot of Balanchine ballets to the repertory, and Balanchine just gave them to us very kindly. Of course, he had worked very, very closely with Francia, and she had staged his works all over. Um, after Balanchine died, he left his ballets to a number of legatees, most of whom deposited them into a trust so they could be administered and, and uh, the integrity of the ballets sort of managed. So uh, we, during Ken Francia's tenure, we acquired many, probably 30 
30-some Balanchine ballets, and when you acquire them, you ask permission and say, we'd like to perform such and such on such and such a days for this many performances. And, uh, you know, either generally Francia would request to be the one who taught the ballet, or if it was a ballet she didn't know or know well, they would send somebody else. And likewise with Peter Bowl, and we've probably acquired, you know, 20 or so Balanchine ballets, maybe 15, I'd have to count, since Peter started. And some of those he stages himself because they're ballets that he danced regularly. Uh, Square Dance, uh, Prodigal Son, uh, he staged Apollo. Uh, he was one of the stagers for the Nutcracker. We had three stagers for that because it's a big ballet and also has a ton of kids. Um, and these ballets make up varying part of the repertory. Nutcracker every year that has its own kind of long-term license. And then, you know, two or three Balanchine ballets a year. So it does really affect the repertory. It's a style most of our dancers are used to, the Balanchine neoclassical style, a certain way of doing, a certain aesthetic and way of doing the basic ballet vocabulary, um, which they might do differently if you, we were in France, we might do differently if we were in Russia because the aesthetic is a little bit different. So it is, it is a, a very influential style of movement and I think an aesthetic too. I think uh, ballets using classical vocabulary are still somewhat judged against Balanchine ballets, if you will. Uh, use of corps de ballet, use of partnering skills, um, uh, breadth of vocabulary style of music. Balanchine was very diverse. And so uh, there is a very large repertory there that covers quite a bit of stylistic material and a huge musical landscape. Uh, so yeah, it's influential and continues to be. And that'll last for a while. And then uh, it'll probably be less so over time, I suppose. Well, it's hard to think about that. But anyway, things are already changing. Uh, maybe one more. Is there anyone else? Okay, well, I think that's an okay place to stop. Because <laughs> we're about to see uh, Balanchine Full Length Ballet and his, his uh, first original one from, from 62, so over uh, 50 years ago now, 57 years. So please do feel welcome to come down afterwards and talk to Jonathan and to Peter Bowl. I know they'll be excited to hear from you, and Jonathan's thrilled to be back on stage. So thank you for being here tonight and supporting the ballet.